Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Well, if you're joining us today, we start a brand new message series entitled Letters from Heaven. And if you're back uh, after last week from Easter, we welcome you. We're really excited that you're here. And I hope uh, that you can join us over the course of the next seven weeks. And if you miss a week, you can always go to ovbc.org to be able to catch up. Because we're going to take each week and we're going to cover something pretty interesting. You know that Jesus Christ, at one point in time, he spoke to a man by the name of John. And he told John to, to pen some words and to pen some letters directed to the churches. And now obviously symbolically we can go ahead and we can look at each of the church, churches that he wrote to um, and we can glean. Theologians will tell you that when the, these letters were written, they were written to the church corporately. So they were written specifically to certain geographical churches um, back during biblical times. But also those geographic locations are also meant to include us. So as we think about this and as we read these letters, we're to think as our church, OCB Baptist Church, we're to think, okay, if Jesus was writing this church to us, are we facing some of the same things? Are we doing some of the same things? Should we respond the way that Jesus calls us to respond? Those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. Um, but not only that, theologians will tell you he wrote these letters to talk to us corporately, but then to talk to us also individually. And you're going to see that through the writing of John as Jesus spoke into, them, into him to make sure that we paid really close attention to these letters. This first letter that we're going to unpack today, um, I love it. It's one of my favorite messages that I've preached um, because it has a very, very applicable and practical message for all of us in this room. He is writing to a church uh, in Ephesus. Now, in Ephesus at that time is in modern-day Turkey today. Um, it was a very strategic church. The Apostle Paul preached at this church all the time. And it was a model church for a lot of different reasons. But he's going to have, Jesus is going to have a guy by the name of John write down this letter for the church in Ephesus. We're going to unpack some of that, and we're going to take a look at what he has to say, not only to them, but to us today. So if you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along on the screen or if you have the YouVersion Bible at all the notes are provided there, um, we're going to move to the book of Revelation. And that's going to start in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Here we go. Jesus wrote and said, John, write this letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. I'm going to break this down so that way you guys understand. So the first thing he says, is I want you to write a letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. The word angel symbolically is talking to the leader of the church at Ephesus, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so he's saying, I want you to pen this. I want you to send this to him because I have some things that I want to say to the church. So the leaders, you need to pay really close attention. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Hand. And so obviously Jesus Christ is sending a message, but the seven stars represents the messengers to the churches. And it continues on and it says this, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. The lampstands represented the church. And so the seven lampstands that he's talking about are the seven churches. And so Jesus has a message that he is sending directly to the leaders of the church of all the churches. Now, why does he refer to them as lampstands? Because if you know symbolically, and if you don't know anything about Christianity, the lampstand represents, the light coming from the lampstand represents the relationship of God to his people. But more importantly, the church 
is the light. The people are the light of the world. And so it represents our influence as a church. So as he writes this, he says, I, Jesus, send to the leader of the churches these messages specifically to the churches who have influence over the people that they serve. Now, another thing about the church at Ephesus. In modern-day Turkey, it was a seaport city. That's why it was so strategic. That's why it was so big. Now, some of you say, aha, Terry, I gotcha. Because Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, if I were to look at it on a map, there's no water there. There's no port there. See, Bible's false. I told you. No, actually, if you look in archaeology, back this up, and you go there today, you can see it. Um, actually, the seabed has, has uh, dried up to where the point of the church was. And so it was a seaport city. Um, the other thing you need to know during this time is Ephesus, it battled all the time because um, there were a lot of different gods that were believed in in Ephesus. In fact, they built a temple to Artemis. And the, the Artemis, it was the, the gods of fertility, the gods of creation. And so the people there, they uh, had a hard time believing in multiple gods and one god. And so when Ephesus began and Paul began to preach, um, they had a hard task to go ahead and to speak in to the fact that there is one true God. And so Jesus writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, and this is what he says. I know all the things you do, and I've seen your hard work. Pause. I love this about Jesus. When I was reading this, I'm like, oh, this is so good. If you're a parent in this room or grandparent in this room, it's really, really good. Because Jesus is writing a letter, and notice what he does first. First thing he says is, hey, I know you. I know you. And isn't it true today that Jesus knows you? He knows our hearts, he knows our likes, he knows our dislikes, he knows everything about us. So the first thing Jesus does is say, hey, as I write this, remember, I know you. But then watch what he does. He says, I know your hard work. Parents in this room, the first thing Jesus does, he's going to have some strong warnings for the church, but the first thing he does is he pauses and he encourages. He says, I want to pause for just a second. I want to tell you what you're doing right. I want to tell you all the things that you work hard for. In other words, I want to build you up for just a second. So continuing on, he says, I know your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. What he's referring to is back during this time, there was a group of individuals. um, Obviously, Paul was preaching, and during this time, there were a group of individuals that claimed to be apostles. They claimed to be disciples and followers of Jesus. And so they gathered together, and they began to teach false teachings. And so Jesus is looking and saying, hey, I know you had hard work. I know you had people who were saying things that were not necessarily true. But you worked hard, and watch what happens. You discovered that they were liars, and you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Isn't it great to know that at the church, Jesus looked at the church and said, hey, you had some difficulties. You had some people saying the wrong thing. But you patiently endured, which means you responded the way that I would call you to respond You didn't blow up as a church. How many churches do you know in our community around this country that the minute that all of a sudden there's a faction or a group of people that believe or say one thing and all of a sudden there's a fight in the church, what happens to the church? It splits. And what happens to the church? It dies. And Jesus looks into this church and says, hey, I'm proud of you. You patiently endured. You stood church for truth. Great job. I'm proud of you. But now watch what Jesus does, and I love it. There's a lot of lessons in confrontation you can learn. He says this, but I have this complaint against you. I love this. Notice that Jesus doesn't do this, what we do. 
you know, honey, I, you know, you did such a great job there and everything like Jesus did, he encourages. And then what we do sometimes is say, um, you know, I, I need to talk to you about something. And, you know, but, but you know, yeah, just before I say, you know, you're, all, you're wonderful. You're great. You're, you're awesome. I mean, you work really, really hard. And, you know, what I have to say is really not that bad. I mean, and so, you know, I don't want you to panic. Whoa, 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 no, 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 don't give me that look. Don't give me that look. I don't want you to panic. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be great. You know, it's not that big a thing. And then the thing we want to confront someone with, we, we kind of share like 60% of it. Because we're looking at them and they're already feeling bad and we share 60% and we leave thinking, yep, did it. I confronted them. It's great. And we didn't confront anything. We, we gave a mess because we didn't completely tell the truth. And now we got to go back and we got to do the same thing. What does Jesus do? He says, but I have a complaint against you. He goes right to it. He says, hey, I'm not going to sugarcoat. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just going to call it what it is. I've got a complaint and I want to talk to you about it. And he says this. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Now, if you're a Christian in this room, right away you can look at those words and you can understand what Jesus is referring to. Because if you've studied the Bible, you know that Jesus at one point was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, you are to love me, love my God, and you are to love one another. And Jesus looks at the church and he said, I've got a complaint. I've built you up. You've patiently endured. But you don't love me or one another like you first did. In other words, you've abandoned your first love. And I remember reading that and I paused and I was like, ow, that kind of hurts. And I was ready to move on. But I don't think you or I really understand what he's talking about unless I can bring you back so that you can really grasp and understand what your first love really is. So here's my question. Do you remember your first love? Think about it for a second. Look forward. Don't look at your spouse because I don't want to get you in trouble. But do you remember your first love? I remember mine. It was sixth grade. And I will, I will open up and bear that I, I went to a school and it was called the Church of the School of the Little Flower. We were known as the Little Flower Leopards. We were green and yellow. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. Let's just say when we went out and to play baseball, softball, or volleyball, we were the team always made fun of. I'll just tell you that. I won't tell you the names they called us. We're in church. I can't do that. But anyway... I remember that during that time, I had a small class. I had a group of about 18 um, kids in my class. And during those days, you know, you, you really didn't ask anybody to the dance. Um, and at our school, we would have a dance. And the middle school dance, this is how it would go, is you would all show up because your class would show up. And as you walked into the room, and I remember this, I'll never forget, there was a big fellowship hall that they had, and they had it all decorated. The teachers did a good job decorating. And so we would show up, and I'd be wearing my dad's tie, and, you know, it looked awful. Sorry, dad, but you had really ugly ties. But anyway, I'd wear his tie and I would go in and all of a sudden you would look and you would have on the left side, and this is true, the left side, you'd have all the middle school boys. Then in the middle, you would have an empty dance floor and no one dared step into that chasm. And then you had on the right side, you had all the girls standing aside from one another. And then in the back, you had the punch table. And so the, the kids, it was hilarious. The kids would walk this way, around, get punched, and then they wouldn't cross the dance floor. No, no, no. They, they walked around because they didn't want to step foot near that dance floor. 
So I remember I walked in, I went with my buddies, we're sitting there, and here's the conversation. It's like, hey, you going to dance tonight? No, I ain't going to dance tonight. Who are you going to? You're going to dance with so-and-so. I am not. Yes, you are. No, no way. I wouldn't dare dance with her. And that was the conversation. And so I will tell you that when I walked in, I had a crush. Her name was Christine. She was an amazing athlete. She could do anything. She was, you know, the best softball player, best basketball I mean, she was incredible. And I liked her, and I, I think that she had liked me. So before I got to the dance, I thought, you know what? I, I'm going to ask Christine to dance with me before the end of the night. So as the night's going on, we're all standing there, and I'm listening to the conversation of the guys, and I'm thinking there's no way I could dance because all these guys are making fun of anybody who dares go dance. And then the cheesy thing happens. All the faculty go out on the dance floor, and they're all dancing, and we're like, ugh, gross. You know, we're doing that. And then finally, all of a sudden, as I'm standing with the group of guys, you know, we kind of get distracted, and a couple people go in the corner over there, a couple people go over there, and then my two buddies that were with me, they decide to go over to the punch bowl and get some punch, and I'm by myself. And the DJ, I'll never forget it, DJ was there, and, and uh, I mean, DJ back then, when you think DJ, it was like a, a guy with a microphone and a little box, but he gets on a record player, and he's there, and he's sitting there, and he goes, all right, he goes, guys, we got to get some dancing going, and he says, I'm going to play this next song, this next song is a great song for dancing, so don't be shy, come across and ask someone to dance, and go ahead and get your partner and get on the dance floor, and I sat there, and all of a sudden it happens, right, you got that first love experience, I look across the room, and I catch her eye and there's two girls next to her and they're giggling and all of a sudden my hands start sweating profusely and then I start getting pale because I start thinking I said I, I, if I'm going to ask her to dance I've got to walk across the chasm I don't know if I can do this but I knew if, if I wanted her to know I liked her I needed to go do this I needed to, to get the courage to go so I, I just want to paint the picture of what it looked like so I remember sitting there I was like well it's now or never so true story I, I got the courage and I began to walk across that chasm. I began to look to the side, and, and nobody had picked up yet. Nobody had seen. And so I remember walking over to the other side, and the girls, of course, you girls know what happens. The two girls that were standing next to the one girl, they darted away. And there Christine was. And so I remember walking up to her, and she's kind of looking down, and this is what I said. I said, Christine, will you dance with me? And this is what happened. All right, guys. And she said yes. I sit back. I get chills thinking about it right now. We walked. I was sweating. It was, you left, you know, about six feet for the Holy Spirit, you know, as you dance side by side. And by the way, you had that one move, right? You know, it was just side to side. And you had, and you, you had your hands out like this. You know, you, you didn't dare go like this. You were like this. And, and we danced. And, and but that was my first love. And when I thought back to it, sitting at my desk, thinking of that experience and everything else, I mean, I had butterflies. I was sweating. I, you know, I was committed. I did something I never thought I would do by crossing that chasm. There were so many things I was willing to do for my first love. And I think that's what Jesus was talking about. I think when Jesus looked at the church and looked at you and I, he's saying to us, have you left your first love? 
let's keep it within ourselves today. What first love have you left? There's a lot of examples of this, but I can, I can probably bet in this room relationship-wise, there's a lot of things that you used to do for your first love that you don't do today. And you do what I do. You crank up the excuse machine. Well, you know, we got kids. You know, we got this. You know, we got this. You know, we're not, we're not young kids anymore. You know, we got, and, we, and we make all these excuses. I'm going to be really honest and transparent here. I, I, there is something that I used to do for my wife, Jennifer, that I, don't, I didn't do anymore. When we were dating, my, my wife and I, she didn't touch a door handle. Anytime we went to the car, we went out, I opened that car door for her, and she would get in and I closed that car door. If she ever went to grab it, I said, whoa, 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 I got this, I got this, I got this, and I would open it for her. What happened? Something called kids. When all of a sudden I've got a baby carrier and I've got a stroller in one hand and we're coming up to the car, um, honey, I got it, I got, there's no way you can do it. And so all of a sudden it just naturally falls away. And I, I sat there Thursday night, I was at Abuelo's restaurant, and I remember I was preparing this message and I came out of Abuelo's and we were walking and Connor was there. And I thought to myself, you know what, there is no reason why I shouldn't be doing that. If I was willing to do it for my first love, why have I stopped And so I ran in front of her, and here are the reasons why we stopped doing those things. And here are the reasons why some of you are saying, well, no, I can't do it now. It's because, guess what happened? I ran in front of her. I opened the car door, and she kind of went like this. (laughs) Who are you, and what would you do with my husband? But I opened the door, and I said, no, I said, you know what? I I just, in my heart, I, I need to do this. So she got in the car. But here's the reason why you do that. Over the weekend, probably about three times that we were out, I would run around, and I'd open the car door for her. And by the third time, when I opened the car door, I didn't get that look. I got a different look. Thank you. Thank you for treating me so special. So here's a question for you in this room as we talk about first love. What first loves have you left? Have you stopped opening car doors? Have you stopped offering words of encouragement? Have you stopped sacrificing for your first love? Do you give the time anymore? Do you go on a date? And I wanted to bring you there. I wanted you to feel that. Because the only way for us to understand what Jesus was talking about is if I could try my best to get all of us to go back to those first love feelings and to ask ourselves the question, why? Do you know that Jesus actually, when he was in his ministry and he was walking with his disciples, he actually spoke about this. He actually talked about how many of us would abandon our first love. He did it while he was walking. We never knew it, but he refers back to this. Take a look at this in the book of Matthew. He says this, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. In other words, Because of all the excuses, all the justifications, all the things that the world is going to go through. The world is going to tell you, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do this. Culture is going to say, no, you don't have to worry about this. You know what? We don't do that anymore. It's a different time now. You don't have to do those things that you used to do for your first love. And Jesus says, I'm going to warn you, because of that, love is going to grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Let me translate. But there will be some of us in this room that will stand and say, I'm going to stop making justifications. I'm going to stop making excuses. I'm going to return to my first love and the principle of first love because it's right. Because it matters. 
I don't care what culture says. I don't care that my friends don't do it. I'm going to stand because I know it's true. And I'm going to do it because I have to return to my first love. So here's some questions. What about in your spiritual life? Do you talk about your faith as much as as you first did? Jesus looks into my heart and yours and says, okay, enough about your personal life, but now let's talk about me. I remember when I first came to understand what Jesus did for me. I was so excited. And then you know what I did? When I finally, when I finally understood, I would go to my closest friends and I would say, hey, I got to tell you what, what Jesus did for me. I got to tell you about this. You know, you got to understand this. You know, hey, I saw you do this. This isn't right because Jesus says that we've got to do this. And I can promise you, you're going to end up in trouble. And any chance I got, I would go and I would share and I would talk. And I was thinking at my desk, do I do it as fervently as I once did? when I first fell in love with Jesus. Have you? There's another question. Do you invest in the unchurched as much as you first did? I remember I used to think about all my friends and family who didn't know who Jesus was. And I would be willing. I'd never forget a car ride with my dad, Burley Marine, and I've shared it in this church. Burley Strong Marine who didn't give a rip And I remember mustering up the strength, the courage in a car ride for about six blocks to tell him about Jesus and what Jesus did in my life. And I remember thinking he's going to have the best response, and he didn't. And what he said to me, I never forgot, because it was quite awful. Until 20 years later, we sat in a parking lot, and my dad looked at me and said, I've never forgotten what you told me. And I want to tell you, I'm sorry for what I said back to you. And that meant a million dollars to me. But then when he turned and he looked at me and he said, but even better, Terry, I want to tell you this. I never forgot what you said. And I want to tell you today that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. You never know what can happen if you return to your first love. Here's another question. Do you spend time in prayer as much as you first did? Many of us, oh, I know Jesus. God knows my heart. That's an excuse. That's a justification. Do you listen to him? as much as you first did? And are you as passionate as you once were? Jesus looks at the church at Ephesus and said, you've abandoned your first love. Let me give you some insight into that church, and maybe it relates to us. The church wasn't a bad church. The church at Ephesus was a great church. But they weren't as passionate, and they were just going through the motions. They just did church. But behind their actions, behind their service, Jesus looked in and saw that their hearts were not where they used to be when they first fell in love with him. Is that the same for us? Here's what I challenge you with. If you're sitting here today like me and at my desk, and you know there are, whether it's in my personal relationship or my relationship with Jesus, I know that I have abandoned my first love. I haven't done the things that I used to do. If you know that there are things that you've not done, then I want to point you to what Jesus has to say. Because what did Jesus have to say about this? Take a look at the next verse of this scripture. Look how far you've fallen. And here's his words, very straight to the point. Turn back to me and do the works you once did at first. Don't miss this, though. The language that he uses says this. 
For those of you who have abandoned your first love, you don't get the sweaty palms. You're not having the butterflies. You're not passionate. You're not willing to take the risks. You're not willing to do all that you need to do to make sure that you're passionate about Him. For those of you who left your first love, He says this, that you're walking one way, and He's saying right now is the day for you to turn all the way around and to do the things that you once did. Yeah, but Terry, you got to understand, I'm a lot older now. I can't, no, 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 excuse. Yeah, but Terry, you got to understand, i got three little ones. Excuse. And that's what Jesus was talking about. That's why he addressed the church. You keep making excuses. You keep making justifications. You keep saying you can't, but you absolutely can. And if it was back during the day when you first fell in love, you'd have done it. What's changed? So for those of you who say, Terry, gosh, that's me. That's me. What do I need to do? I want you to write a couple things down. Every decision you make, every action you take, stop and return to your first love. In other words, filter your thoughts, actions, and decisions through your first love. God, what are you calling me to? God, why should I open the car door for my wife? Because you love me. And how you love me, you are to treat others. And if you love me that you die for me, then you should die for your spouse. And if you're willing to die for your spouse, what is it to go open a dang car door for her? Why wouldn't you do that? Many of us have to return. Now, what's the danger if we don't? Because some of us, hey, I was there. Some of us are sitting here, and some of you right now are in the balcony or down below. You're sitting there saying, ah, yeah, 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 but you know what? It's water on the bridge. It's just too late. There's nothing I can do. You're already making your excuses. What's the danger for you? And Jesus speaks to it if you don't turn and go back to your first love. Take a look. If you don't repent, I will come, and I'll remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Now, what does that mean? I already told you a lampstand is the relationship between God and His people. Better yet, it's the light that we have of Christ. Better yet, it's the influence that the church has and that you have in your family, in your co-workers, in your friendships, in your relationships. So what Jesus says is if you don't turn, if you don't turn, you're going to lose influence. You'll lose influence with the following, your spouse, your significant other if you're dating, your kids, your co-workers, and your friends. Because you're just doing the actions and you don't really mean it. I can't think, really think about this. I can't think of anything worse than if I or you were to lose our influence. If people weren't willing to take us seriously. If people weren't willing to listen to what we had to say, feel, or emote. It's kind of like cry wolf syndrome. You get to a place where you do the same things over and over and over again. There's no heart and there's no truth behind it. That all of a sudden everyone around you starts to tune you out and say, I don't need to listen to you because there's no substance with what you have to say. The worst thing that can happen to you today is this. Jesus says that you don't love me like you once did and you don't love others like you should. You've abandoned your first love. And the worst thing that happens to someone who doesn't love God like he should and love people like they should, it means this. Think about it. If you're a Christian today, what's your purpose in life? You are to love him and love people. That's your purpose, right? So in essence, what Jesus was really saying is, I'll come and I'll remove your lampstand. In other words, you'll lose your purpose. 
How many people do you know right now that have no purpose in life? And all they do is walk around and do the same thing over and over again. So here's what Jesus has to say to wrap this up. And I'm done. Take a look. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. In other words, if you're willing today to say, you know what, God, I'm going to stop making excuses. You know what, God, I'm going to turn and I'm going to start doing the right things. I know she might look at me a strange way as if, wow, what happened to you? But I know if I continue to do the right things, the snicker will turn to joy. And maybe my life will have the purpose that it needs once again. What attributes of first love have you left? Are you praying? Are you listening? Are you reading? Are you encouraging? Are you opening car doors? Are you finding something right instead of always finding something wrong? It's time to return to your first love. Will you do it today? Let's pray. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song and I want to encourage you to listen to the words of the song and I want to encourage you to just have a conversation with God. And so Father, right now in this room, in just a moment, I pray there's a lot of conversation between you and us. I pray for the family, for the spouses, for the kids, for the adults that have abandoned the principles of their first love. I pray that practically they would do that this week and turn and begin to do the things they once did. But most importantly, God, you had a warning for us spiritually. So for those in this room that have taken their faith for granted, today is the day to stop making excuses and to take a step and turn around and to begin doing the things you once did because it's right and it's true. So Father, right now, may we, may you find your people with hearts that are saying, God, we want our first love. And we're going to begin that today. God, may you bless this moment as we listen to the words of this song in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.